Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi and welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Uh, previously, you heard Out of the Pan with Sally, and it's Sally's Radiothon next week and all 3CR shows, so make sure you listen in to Out of the Pan next week from 12 till 1, uh, radio sh- radio tho- Radiothon show special. Um, and if you are a regular listener to Out of the Pan, then make sure you donate and support support Sally's show. Uh, and if you're not, then make sure you check it out 12 till 1. You can also check out the podcast via the 3CR website. So, yeah, today on the show, um, yeah, we are back live in the studio after quite a long time, for me anyway, um, and yeah, we're going to be joined by Harley, who listeners or long-time listeners will know who was um, back here in the studio back a few years ago, but over the last few years has been con- contributing some great uh, interviews, um, both on, yeah, talking about her own experience with activism, but also interviewing fellow activists um, over in the UK and, and around Europe generally. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining me today, Harley. Thank you. It's great to be back in the studio. And yeah, listeners can actually text in today. We've got the text line. So if you have any questions, comments, if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask uh, Harley on your behalf or anything like that, you can text in during the show. The number is 0488. 809-855 and I'll just give that give you give that one more time in case you want to grab a paper and pen or your phone or whatever else you can write that down um, save it for next week as well where we've got our trivia show and we're going to encourage listeners to text in with the answers to the trivia questions so yeah just get ready to write this down um, 0488 809-855 so that is the number to text in if you have any questions or comments throughout the show so, yeah, um, I guess to start things off, so Harley was in Melbourne, as I mentioned, and went across in, I believe, 2019. Is that right? Uh, early 2020. Yeah. Early 2020, yeah. So do you want to talk, <laughs> interesting timing, but um, <laughs> do, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, yeah, what inspired you to go? I guess at that time, there was probably quite a bit of animal activism happening in Melbourne. So what, what inspired you to go across to, to the UK? For sure. Um, and yeah, you're right. Fantastic timing, really, from me. Um, I think I arrived three months before COVID really hit. Um, but yeah, so for those of you, I guess, who I haven't met or things like that, haven't seen around, um, I got involved in animal activism back in 2016, I think it was, um, when I was at uni. Um, and I started out by being part of co-founding a group called Young Voices for Animals. Um, so that was very much focused on youth empowerment and education. So we designed workshops. We ran a conference for young people um, with this aim or with this, I guess, like 
recognition that there were so many young people who cared about animals and animal issues. And this was, I think, particularly a time when, you know, the the surge of the cowspiracies and the vegan documentaries was really like at its peak. Um, and I think all of us were young people who were seeing around us like this real interest in taking action um but a lack of knowledge about how to do that and what pathways existed um I think I know when I first went vegan and just really knew that I wanted to take action for animals I really struggled knowing knowing where to go knowing how to meet the right people knowing how to kind of connect with groups that were doing things um and kind of feeling very isolated and um confused which I think a lot of people would probably relate to um so fast forward to 2019 that was I think as you said like a massive year for activism in Melbourne um there was the big Dominion protests which I was a part of um with shutting down the CBD there was a lot of buzz and energy around that and I think it at least I think for me it really felt like there was movement in like animal rights, which I hadn't really seen for since I'd been involved, um, and I guess kind of like being a bit of a bit of a nerd and like you know looking back and like the history of the animal rights movement, it felt like maybe returning to the the presence that the movement had like twenty years ago or something like that. Um, so why I kind of decided to leave, given all that, I think. Um, so around this time, so around 2019, um, I'd been involved in this youth group for a while running these workshops and I, I guess I was feeling the sense of frustration, um, this sense of meeting these amazing young people, um, like so inspiring um, and being young myself and being at uni and thinking about where I wanted my life to go and just being being in the sense of despair at the state of the world um, and feeling like... I don't know how I can think about my future when like animals are being killed in the the billions, the trillions, um and also with the the climate crisis and just more and more warnings about that coming out. Um and seeing that reflected in the young people I was working with, so kind of running these workshops for youth who had had this, you know, really strong connection to animal rights and to anti-speciesism um, at such a young age, younger than I was when I had, um, and also just feeling like talking to these young people and recognising the depth of their despair and grief about the world that they were growing up into and not being able to contemplate a future. Um, and I think that was a big motivator for me to start really diving into like social change. Um, so I started researching and trying to understand a lot about social movements um and how they happen how they like rise and like specifically focused around like civil disobedience and the the history and the impact of it um and that led me i guess to a community of people who were exploring this idea which was developed in the u.s which was called this like momentum driven organizing um and this is a I guess like a theory or a perspective on social change which tries to bring together both like structure 
project-based organizing, so the traditions of community organizing, of you know developing these these structures, these organizations that can do the slow work of building for change and mobilizing people um, for this kind of like incremental, like we're going to make the world better, but we need to do it by building these communities up. Um, and then also the kind of flash in the pan, um, mass uprisings um, inspired by things like the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street. And this perspective was trying to bring those two together and create this way of moving towards social change, which captured that momentum and that energy, but then also embedded it in this structure. So I was really inspired by that. And it was something that I wanted to learn and I wanted to understand and I wanted to think about how that could work in a movement for animals, um, especially because, you know, as we're all aware, like movement for animals is a challenging one because it's ally led um, and that makes it really hard. So that kind of was what led me to end up moving to the UK where there was a community working within this like framework um so I went with this idea that I wanted to learn as much as I could do as much as I could and just throw myself in and try and I guess channel that despair into action yeah and I think just um what you mentioned there about both that the importance of ongoing organizing and a sort of sort of slow build but also the flash in the pans like I, I think of the Black Lives Matter movement as an example mm-hmm. of that because I around um yeah when that movement was really sort of taking off and really sort of reaching mainstream media all the time um, I read an article in the New York Times which tracked the support for that movement and you could sort of see it gradually going up over the years and I'm only hypothesizing here but perhaps that's more that slow work of people mm-hmm having conversations with friends and family, raising awareness of those issues, and just sort of that gradually more positive perception of that movement. But then it went up some, I can't remember numbers from my head, but some significant amount during those protests. And so I guess that's the importance of those, like, yeah, really sort of media heavy and, and sort of really actions that really break through to the, to the mainstream media and, and, and sort of mainstream consciousness in, in a much faster way than just those sort of slow things of building and having conversations and, and those kind of things. So... Yeah, maybe you could move on talking a bit about the, yeah, some of the things you did and how Animal Rebellion and the activism you did there put some of those ideas into practice. So for sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, the group that I was mainly involved with was a group called Animal Rebellion. Um, and Animal Rebellion is, it aims to bridge the gap between the animal justice and the climate justice movement. So it was created in the aftermath of the April 2019 Extinction Rebellion kind of uprising in the UK where in a very short amount of time they mobilised thousands of people to the street. They had yeah thousands of arrests, I think, um, and they pressured the government, the UK government, to declaring a climate emergency um, and to become the first government in the world to do that. So people who were involved in that who were also had a background in advocating for animals, saw that momentum and that energy and they recognised an opportunity for animals to become part of this conversation. Um, and this was kind of, there were two things involved with this. One was that there was this recognition that if there wasn't a group who were bringing animals into the climate conversation, they would be most likely forgotten. Um, or kind of treated as just another problem. So it's so easy to, you know, um, 
talk about animals as victims, for instance, like wild animals, or part of the issue, for instance, talking about, you know, I think a lot of environmental groups might talk about the issues with like factory farming, um, but they're kind of framing animals as being on par with like fossil fuels or something like that. It's just another like destructive um, polluting industry rather than recognizing the individuals um, involved with that. So that was one of the kind of motivations. And the other one was the kind of secondary thing, which was that the environmental industry, the environmental movement had made what felt like this unilateral decision to focus on fossil fuels as the the pressure point, as the the main issue. Um, And again, as I said, like um, this was a a time when a lot of people were becoming interested or engaged with animal issues partly because of environmental reasons because of the recognition of the enormous impact of animal animal farming and fishing on the environment and animal rebellion saw itself as being the group to push that message that narrative that we can't we can't address the climate crisis without transitioning our food system um so it's very yeah food focused um focused on the food system focused on system change um so i joined animal rebellion in january of 2020 um and was pretty heavily involved for the two and a half years or so um so while i was there i kind of helped yeah plan what we call like rebellions which are weeks of action um we developed some campaigns mainly targeting McDonald's um, and doing like big actions like shutting down the distribution and the McDonald's supply chain. Um, and we also did like a lot of work, I guess, like trying to build that community um, and like what we kind of refer to as like the movement of movements. So making those connections with environmental groups, making those connections with um, other like animal rights specific groups, um, as well as like other movements that were working in the space. So, for example, during the Black Lives Matter like, uprisings in June of 2020, um, we tried to do like quite a bit of like mutual aid and like providing food at protests. Um, and then during the last year, there was a lot of energy and anger around the the UK police crime and sentencing bill. Um, which was basically a very repressive policing bill, which was put through um, mainly targeting protesters as well as uh, marginalised communities, um, particularly the travelling community. Um, And there was a lot of groups came together to protest that. So, yeah, I was involved with the, the action side of thing. And I guess specifically my main involvement was around messaging and developing the the narrative that we used and identifying how we were trying to to shift the conversation um, about animals and about um, animal farming particularly. Yeah, okay. I think that's a good time to take a song. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll get into some of the lessons that Harley's learnt and um, all that kind of stuff um, in a little while um, after this song. So the songs that I've chosen are all songs from UK artists, um, just because that's where Harley's come from, and and at least two of them are about um, yeah England or, or the UK specifically. So uh, the first song we're going to play is by one of my favourite artists, uh, Loki, who's out of um, out of England. 
England, and the song is is Dear England, um, featuring Maya Khalil. And yeah, I um, really like the song. And yeah, again, we're going to have all English themed songs throughout. <laughs> and yeah, after this song, uh, we'll have more from Harley and some of the reflections, the lessons that she's learned, etc. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Museum. This happened here and you think it's an accident Just relax and we slip with the fascism And the fear gets drilled into your heart But remember these children are all ours Just a familiar sound of hysteria Bombs over Libya but not this area Down in street I can find villains Cut education, privatised prisons Surprised by theft when it's organised But mass morality is normalised Assumptions surrounding the looting of London But this is a system consumed by consumption It happened here and you think it's an accident Just relax and we slip with the fascism And the fear gets drilled into your hearts But remember these children are all ours
possibly happen again. You know why it will? Because the government that we've got in this country at the moment and the ones that we had in the past will not listen. Do you know why they won't listen? Because they don't live and breathe this. Their kids don't live and breathe this. And that's the biggest problem. If they lived and breathed this, they'd be different. Different, 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 different. CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled, and focus on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. And, yeah, we are currently fundraising for Radiothon. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can donate. Probably the easiest for most people, and we'll go through a lot more other ways next week in terms of calling in and dropping into the station, etc. But probably the easiest way for most people is just go to 3cr.org dot au forward slash donate and then if you nominate freedom of species as the show that you're donating to then that helps not only 3cr the station go another year but also helps um, freedom of species going and and keep bringing you conversations like the one we're having today which is with harley um, talking about some of her experiences in the uk with, with activism there over the last few years and yeah we, we thought we'd turn now to talk about the issue of um, police repression and, and i guess that being a barrier to the the sort of mass movement that you were aiming for with that movement? Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting topic and I think it's 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 so relevant because I feel like as like activists um, in any issues, like repression is something we're always struggling and pushing back up against. Um, and I do feel, and I've had this reflected to me quite a few times by a very varied amount of people that, repression and animal rights is well both has a very long and storied history but is also kind of often a lot more intense than um people i think other movements might realize um because animal rights often does feel a little bit isolated and disconnected from other social movements um so within animal rebellion we like i said we we were mobilizing off these big Extinction Rebellion rebellions, which were like taking to the street for weeks at a time, trying to shut down London um, and doing these kind of big flashy media actions. Um, and from that as well, we started doing other like attention grabbing media actions. Um, so that could be from the very small and easy to pull off, um, but quite press worthy such as like we dyed fountains red like the fountains of Buckingham Palace or Trafalgar Square um and got quite a lot of attention around that or even like more recently just in this month um animal rebels kind of disrupted the Queen's Jubilee celebrations like running out in front of the the trooping of the guards or the Epsom Derby as well the horse race so running out onto the track before the race started um so things like that like very media grabbing flashy kind of actions um as well as like the more highly disruptive um ones that take longer to plan for example the ones with structures um and people locking on and etc cetera, etc cetera. so animal rebellion's whole theory of change as well as you know other groups operating in a similar way 
is to mobilize mass amounts of people. Um, and it's operating on the assumption um, and the, the research that shows um, that it's like if 3.5% of a population is mobilized in active popular support around an issue, then no social movement in history has ever kind of failed in their aims. Um, so this that's kind of like the grounding of these groups. Um, and when I joined Animal Rebellion, that was the kind of the message that was spread that we need to organize. We need to organize openly. And what I mean by that is publicizing what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. So if we're going to shut down a city, we'll be saying we're shutting down this city. We're going to have thousands of people lock, like blocking this place. Um, so we need to organize. We need to organize openly and we need to inspire people to take more and more action. Um, so that was kind of the the mentality and the approach that I, I, I kind of came in with and the understanding that I had. Um, and as I spent more time in the UK and worked with a lot of amazing people, we kept coming up against this tension, which was that how do we organise openly? How do we try and mass mobilize when for starters our issue is niche it doesn't have 3.5 percent of the population who are already in active popular support who we just have to you know mobilize and energize um we need to first convince people we need to kind of get them on side um and then additionally because we are small we're vulnerable so when we do actions um, the potential for like, crackdowns, the potential for very like repressive measures is so high compared to like say if a movement had already like thousands of people. So it's kind of like how do you build momentum when um, in the face of the authorities and them constantly trying to restrict you from building momentum? Mm. So I think like Animal Rebellion for me is a really ex interesting example of this because – in my time, we faced a very interesting police response. Um, so I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so in June of last year, around this time, actually, Animal Rebellion joined a bunch of other kind of protest groups who went to the G7 summit in Cornwall. Um, so this was, yeah, world leaders coming together to talk about um, a variety of issues, chief among them was COVID response and climate, um, climate emergency. So this was, you know, G7 has a long history of being protested against and disrupted. Um, and we went with a small camp. I think there was, we have this running joke in Animal Rebellion that no matter how many people we try and mobilize, we always end up with 50. <laughs> um, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's always like, 50 people did this, 50 people shut this down. And actually once the, the Metro in the UK mistakenly, mistakenly reported that as 50,000 people had shut down McDonald's <laughs> and didn't, didn't change that. Um, but yes, it's usually 50. So I think the count was around 50, um, 50 to 100. Um, and this was in comparison to other like big, much bigger camps um, at the same time. So while like other protest camps, including one that wasn't explicitly nonviolent, like XR and Animal Rebellion are, were pretty much left alone by police. They might, I think they had some police visiting them. Um, the Animal Rebellion camp was on the third day, like raided by the police. Um, they arrested 
15 people who had remained at the camp as they hadn't wanted to go to protests, um, either because they were older, um, they were sick, they were taking care of children or animals, um, and they decided to remain behind. So they arrested these people, these like more vulnerable people, and they seized pretty much every electronic device on that site. So people's phones, laptops, they took people's diaries, they took people's medication. Um, and there's currently like a legal case around the police um, because it's been deemed unlawful, um, the, the rate. But that's kind of, I guess, an example of how of one of the many occasions Animal Rebellion was kind of like jumped on by the police. And we, we're not really sure why, um, but I think the the bigger thing here and the thing that I'm really interested in discussing, I guess, is this question around building energy and momentum when we're always kind of pushing up against the repression of the authorities. And I think this is something that experience in Australia as well with the animal rights movement, um, particularly, you know, the, the rise of like ag-gag laws um, and um, anti-protest laws to try and restrict the ability to expose or extend against exploitation um and i think it's probably the biggest question i still have and the biggest thing that i think we need to like grapple with as a movement is how do we build this energy and momentum um and not lose it all because of repression because if we look in the past like we see a lot of animal rights movement like or like moments of movement moments of momentum for example like in the 90s um in the UK and the US with the Shack campaign um and the arrest and imprisonment of people because of that as well as because of like people involved with ALF and other groups led to this like silencing of the movement for many years which i think really has only started to kind of come back um, in quite recent years. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a big question. I think it's something that we need to be talking about openly and discussing as a movement because I think it's so easy to slide into like, okay, then we'll only do underground actions. We'll only do stuff which is out of the public eye, which isn't, you know, the civil disobedience, which can get you um, in front of the a jury it can get you in prison um it's the stuff that's like the secret stuff the stuff that we can just try and get away with um but i think that leads to this big gap in the movement of the the public facing stuff the media grabbing stuff the stuff that is allowing us to get the interest that will then yeah give us the opportunity to make more progress forwards yeah and i think that those uh, yeah, definitely understand that tension there. And I think those kind of high publicity actions you touched on are quite important, particularly looking, we did a show a while ago on the high level of support for plant-based diets to address a climate crisis. I believe it was about 30% worldwide, which was quite a big study as well, but it was actually much higher in the UK. I think it might have mm -hmm. been in the 40s, early 40s, perhaps. I can't quite remember, but it was definitely higher than the over average. And yeah, again, it's purely a hypothesis, but we probably can't separate that from the work of those social movements to kind of change those attitudes. Um, and I did also just want to briefly mention, um, just for anyone who's not familiar with those terms um shack was stop huntington animal cruelty i yeah. believe it was yeah. um yeah uh, 
basically a, a protest group, um, yeah, challenging animal experimentation and Animal Liberation Front was more of a, a movement than a group, but it was more about those who were breaking the law on behalf of non-human animals. Um, but yeah, I did want to ask just because I've spoken to some long-time animal activists in the UK and definitely like historically in the UK, or they had so many experiences of mm. police infiltration. And um, yeah, I, I think the going back to the jokes, I know in Perth, there was a similar issue uh, here in Australia um, where I'm from with the animal rights group before I was part of it, but um, police infiltration, they didn't know the vegan restaurants. And yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a friend who just doesn't eat out much, whatever, doesn't know the vegan restaurants. We're always joking that she must be a police officer. But uh, yeah, was that an issue of police infiltration with Animal Rebellion? So we never had a confirmed case okay. of police yeah. infiltration, but it was definitely something that was on every, a lot of people's minds. And again, we had a massive tension because Animal Rebellion was formed as like an openly organized group. And there was a big, I guess, and it bubbled up on occasion, which there was a big split between people who were very anti-security culture. Mm. So didn't want to use like code names, didn't want to use secure communication channels, for example, Signal, which is like a messaging app, which is encrypted. Um, didn't want to, didn't worry about, didn't want to worry about who we were saying things to, wanted to tell everyone everything with this idea that we're openly organized, we're doing this in the public view. Mm. And then there was, there was, I guess there was more three groups. There was another group, which was like, look, we want to be openly, or- I, I would consider myself part of this group, which is mm. we want to be openly organized, but in order to actually get stuff done, we need to have some level of security. Um, because otherwise, like, um, if, if you look at the most recent 2021 rebellion, we were raided about five times in a week. We had like key organizers, including myself, arrested. Not to call myself a key organizer, um, if any police are listening. Um, yeah, we had arrests, house raids. We had vans stopped, equipment seized. We had all of the equipment for an action taken three times before the action happened, including flyers which said exactly who we were targeting um, and when. The action still went ahead by some miracle. Um but it's the biggest pain in the world to be raided, to be like prevented like that, and as well as you know people facing charges for conspiracy. Um, and then there's another group which was like, we need to be completely shut, like closed doors. Mm. Um, so I think paranoia was definitely mm. a thing. There's definitely people we thought were police. Um, mm. Some people who might have been. There was definitely cases where it was like, I think there was someone on the inside for this, because there's no way they could have known this information. But I think more often than not, it was our own internal confusion around who we are as a movement mm. and how we keep each other safe. That was that caused the tension mm. and that caused more tension than any police infiltrator probably could have. Mm. Because when you don't know, when you're not clear internally about how you organize and what your approach is, um, then it's it's pretty much impossible to do anything so yeah but you know there might have been there might have been some people in there we'll never know yeah um yeah and i guess even the potential of it i think has the has the potential you mentioned that paranoia which is mm. is sometimes paranoia but also sometimes like a very likely situation yeah, so it's like exactly. hard to sort of differentiate like paranoia versus just like actual legitimate concerns but yeah. again like thinking historically i think of like the black panther party in the u.s in in the, in the 60s and yeah like they had a lot of infiltration which both like created tensions but also sort of 
to capitalize on the existing tensions within the organization yeah. and all that kind of thing is just a, a way that sort of um, makes these mass movements kind of just sort yeah. of shrink and divide and exactly. sort of break up and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I was also listening to Ronnie Lee who founded the Animal Liberation mm. Front and, and he was saying like at one point he thought the Animal Liberation Front could be like a mass movement so he could just have lots of people mm. who are just, you know, it can, these can be actions from individuals, they can be just a group of friends but it's very much underground it's it's illegal and it's it's not it's not upfront it's not this sort of um yeah we're having this protest as people sort of taking this upon themselves and sort of on reflection he said no that that probably never could be a mass movement so mm. i guess there's that tension of yeah trying to stay under the radar of police but then shrinking the movement versus having a mass Absolutely. movement having that um repression i think one of my favorite examples of police infiltration i'm using air quotes in <laughs> here is um after a big yeah week of action where we had a lot of yeah a lot of raids a lot of intense kind of stuff happen like we had helicopters following us and things like that and everyone was a bit on edge um to say the least and a person started coming to volunteer events um and most of us were 100% convinced they were a cop um asking lots of questions and very interested in the inner workings of animal rebellion and so there was a bunch of us who were like we need to be careful we need to just just not tell them everything just you know be just be aware and it turns out that they they weren't a cop but they they were getting involved just to find a, a new pool of eligible females um, and they ended up dating multiple people in the movement at the same time, um, which, yeah, probably caused more strife than police officers ever were. But that was like, that's probably my favourite example of like, well, there's a lot that can impact a movement. It's not mm-hmm. always the police. No. It's just that people working together is hard mm-hmm. and I think... The biggest thing for me is just recognizing that there needs to be trust and like the most powerful thing in the world, I think, is like people coming together and choosing to work together and trusting each other. So I think like coming back and one of, I think my reflection on my time in the UK um, was just the, that, that feeling of being part of such a such a te- like a team of dedicated people who were like we're going to make stuff happen and we're going to you know push through all the shit and we're going to do it because it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. and yeah i think that's that's just amazing and that's the biggest thing for me coming back is that like finding people trusting people and believing that change is possible is just 100% what we need yeah, and and though that sort of like predatory aspect, and also the police can sometimes come together as well. Again, speaking to those activists in the UK, there were so many examples where the infiltrators had slept with various uh-huh. people, had yeah. relationships, even had kids in some cases. Like yeah. really, um, yeah, really horrifying stuff. But um, yeah, uh, we better move on to another song, and and this is one I actually thought of as kind of one of those songs where it's like it's nothing to do with the pandemic, and it was written before the pandemic, about uh, six years before or something. But um, yeah, it sort of talks about disconnect connection that kind of thing in the context of relationships but it's one of those songs kind of you might sort of listen to in a new light in light of the pandemic and maybe we'll uh, finish up after this with some reflections on um, activism throughout the pandemic so yeah here we go this is color me wednesday and the song is incompatible Separated 
3CR Radiothon 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022, keep community strong. Stay locked to 3CR. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Today we're talking with Harley about experiences over in the UK doing activism um, and reflecting on some of the issues that have come up and also perhaps how they might be relevant to issues for animal activists here in Australia as well. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're nearly out of time, which I can't believe in. <laughs> I feel like we just started. But, um, yeah, probably the final topic we'll be able to fit in is, yeah, the, this is the pandemic. Pandemic, we just played the song Incompatible by Colour Me Wednesday, talking about disconnection, that kind of thing, which I thought was quite relevant to the pandemic. And yeah, I guess thinking about from those who are more uh, active in the animal movement than I am hearing that at least at the moment there's not too much going on, stuff has restarted to an extent, but definitely not to the same degree. Um, and you mentioned all the animal activism that was going on in like 2019, even early 2020 in Melbourne. Uh, and even myself um, going along to a few of those actions, but probably more going along to the climate actions. Um, yeah, there was really a lot of momentum towards the end of 2019, even early 2020 with bushfires. And yeah, sort of really feel like there was so much momentum for those protests. And 
Yeah, I guess in terms of thinking about why there isn't so much activism happening now, like I, th- I think it's perhaps partly due to concerns about people getting COVID, but I think that's a, probably, again, hypothesis, but a fairly small portion of it because I walk by the restaurants and there's people mm. indoors eating and that kind of thing. Like a lot of people have gone back, but I guess my hypothesis is more about like a, a loss of momentum within the social movement. And I, I think this has been a time where a lot of people have like reflected on what they're doing with their time. Why am I doing this? This job and, and these kind of things which is positive and I think in activism it's not so much people going oh why was I doing that it was just kind of a routine that I fell into I don't think that's the case but at the same time there is that thing of um, going along to an action every week or every month or even uh, in my context in an academic setting even organizing a conference once mm. a year that being put on hold I feel like psychologically uh, it's much harder to start doing something again than to yeah. continue doing yeah. something and so I think maybe that has more to do with it than actually rather than actually um yeah again people not wanting to get out on the streets because of concerns about covid although perhaps there's elements of both but um yeah just wondering your thoughts on yeah how you were able to do all those actions throughout the pandemic but um yeah also any any thoughts on that issue of like a, a yeah real lack of momentum within social movements so yeah in melbourne but also elsewhere when it comes to activism for sure yeah so um i was talking about this i've been talking about this quite a bit recently as i think it's so relevant um and especially now this feeling of like kind of coming out the other side in some way into a very different world um and how social change looks now post not not post covid but kind of like i guess post in the next yeah. stage of covid yeah, yeah post lockdown um so with in the UK, we we moved completely online, as many people did. We did a lot of kind of like trainings and a lot of talks and a lot of trying to bring the community together online. And that worked to a large extent, I think. Another thing that we did was we'd plan actions. Um, so we spent so much time planning actions, which never happened. Um, but it, it allowed us to keep this, this sense of being in a team, working in a team and keeping, I get, even just like, keeping your creative muscles fresh so for example like in during the first lockdown we planned an action and the the idea of the action was that at the very first opportunity we would do it um and this was the trafalgar square dying the fountains red which was like our biggest press action of the year even though it was very simple just two people jumping in a fountain and dying at red with signs that said like blood on your hands animals bleed for human greed stuff like that and we called, yeah, we called them like flat pack actions. This idea that as soon as we had a chance, we could go out and do this thing. Um, and that was a big way, I think, that allowed us to maintain momentum because while everyone was indoors, we were being online. But then as soon as we had a window, we would do an action and people would be like, wow, stuff is still happening. I want to get involved in that. Um, and the same with the first McDonald's action. So that that was planned over six months. Like it was a long, it was a slow burn of an action um, between idea and actual execution. And part of that was we had to keep pushing it back um, because it was lockdown or because the, the, sh- the stores themselves, because we wanted to disrupt supply, weren't open. So we were like, well, this is useless. <laughs> Surprise um, already. <laughs> yeah, literally they've done the, done the job for us. Um, <laughs> so um, we went, waited for them to open and we waited for it to feel right, where people would feel safe enough to be going out and doing things. So um, 
that was a, that was another thing where we planned that over six months, knowing that as soon as we had the opportunity, we'd be ready to go. And when we did it in May, that was it was pretty soon after coming out of a lockdown. So it was this big people were kind of coming out thinking, what is this world? And then bam, we've done something. And people were like, I can get involved in that. And I think that's a big thing of people probably caring, but not knowing what to do. And I think online organizing has been a great way of like maintaining something during the pandemic. But to be like the reality is that we're all inside our own echo chambers. So even when like, I think it's such an incredibly frustrating experience for organizers to be trying to plan events online and you just get the same people showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, we talk about the role of the press grabbing actions for shifting the conversation, mm-hmm. but they're also one of the, the biggest tools we have for getting people who don't already know about us to be aware of us. When you do an action that makes it into the media um, and it looks amazing, it's visually spectacular, it's on message, it's clear, then people know where to go. So people who want to do something know exactly where to go. And I think like to touch on your point quickly about like that lack of momentum, I think like being honest with ourselves as a movement it's a very, very small percentage of people who are like initiators. And and I say this as myself being someone who much prefers to throw my support behind an existing movement um, and like happy to dedicate all my time and energy to making a movement successful and all that, but probably not so likely to start a new group by myself or start a new campaign. Mm. Um, and I would say that I'm in the majority with that. Um, and there's a very small percentage of people who would start something new. Um, and that means that when those people are exhausted or burnt out or demotivated, then there's this real vacuum of people maybe interested. People might still have the passion and the desire to be part of something, but if they don't know what to be part of, then we're not going to see any movement. So I think like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's it's a big challenge coming out of COVID to re-energize and re-initiate these potential, for, like these pathways for people to get involved and be doing stuff regularly. And I think that what, that phrase, active popular support, whether or not we think we can actually get to 3.5% of the population doing that, I think that's what we're striving for. We want people we want people to be taking active support for our movement, but we need to give them the tools. We need to give them the pathways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, once again, I can't believe we're out of, we're out of time mm. for the show today. But yeah, I do just a couple of quick thoughts to finish up with. I definitely think organisations, again, even in a more academic context, which is more of my world at the moment, those that have done like online conferences, they've kept going. And mm. those have been like, oh, we're just going to be on hold for a little while. Uh, it's really hard to get back. Yeah. Um, and I think also <laughs> talking about not many people organisers, even people probably think of that in your social circles. Like I'm definitely not one of them. I'm not an organiser. I'll go along to things. Yeah. I won't 
generally organize it. And I feel like most people are that I'll go along if something's happening, I won't organize it as sure. uh, some people are frustrated. But also, um, yeah, again, like the Black Lives Matter movement, I think the having the protests out on the street was, was so important in in getting people who might not be following the accounts or have that echo chamber, like just reading about it in the, mm. in the newspaper or online newspapers or whatever was really important. So, um, yeah, th- those kind of actions are really important, yeah. but, um, Can yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think like, and then I guess it's, it's our role as then like participants and supporters mm. to, to go to things as well. Like mm-hmm. if, if, if I think, at this at this moment things are small and when they're small it's demotivating and it's a lot easier to just despair than be part of something so it's like if you're an initiator you need to know that you have the support of your community you need to know that if you plan something people are going to come and i think that's such a big thing that's been on my mind a lot lately of that like how do we build that community back up so people feel like they they can be bold take risks try and do something and that they know that they'll have their community come out and support them go to the protests they organize go to the uh, go to the talk um and kind of just rally around each other and know that you know we have to keep taking action and we can do it together and we will grow but even if we're small right now we can still we can still do stuff yeah great uh thanks so much for that we better we better wrap up now and just a quick plug for our radio show a radiothon show next week um so we did a trivia show last year which um we really enjoyed listeners seem to enjoy it as well so we're doing trivia all about animals animal activism animal issues just the kind of topics we discuss on the show um a trivia where you can listen in live and also text in live text your answers so um should be fun so next sunday 19th of june 1 till 2 p.m as always you can listen in via 855 am if you've got a radio still and you're in melbourne mm-hmm. um but you can also stream us live via 3cr.org.au um you can also um donate once again uh, you don't have to wait for the radiothon show you can donate anytime um the website again is 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and again nominate freedom of species as the show you're supporting if you do want to support us and, and keep our show going specifically and yeah just a reminder of that number again in t- save and, and text in your answers for the trivia next week 0488 809-855 so yeah I think that's about pretty much all we have time for this week um, also check us out on social media at FOS Radio on Twitter search us on Facebook we're on Instagram as well um, there's also a give now link you can donate to which you can find on our social media as well so we're going to finish up with another song related or by by an artist from the UK, but also specifically about the UK, or this song is specifically about London, um, and this song is specifically about um, leaving London and moving to the country. So I thought it was kind of relevant with uh, Harley leaving. So thanks so much for joining me today, Harley. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, great to chat. And this is Farewell to My City, and it is by Frank Turner. And make sure you check out our trivia show next week. So here it is. The ending. The one that neither of us ever thought was coming. The black letter day when we're finally irrevocably done. And I am really actually leaving the place that I used to call home. 7,300 days, give or take. Of swearing blind that I'd never leave. 
and that I'd always stay. But strange as it sounds, when the change came around, I realized that there were plenty of vows I'd made as a kid that I'd broken. But that kid got lost somewhere around Camden. So I took a walk the other day from Soho up to Alexandra Park. From the student halls where I started, past a thousand bars I haunted, broken-hearted after dark. Past the bus stop outside Warren Street, where in my headphones I first heard that heavy new beat that would whisk me up to Kentish Town, where me and the Deads laid down our first words, our first skittish sounds. But I started to feel a little bit trapped, a little bit hemmed in. Walking up over the hill, heading northeast from Camden, up towards Holloway, and the magic flat where me and Dave kept plugging in the wider ways until we'd been up for however many days, and the FOMO that started out in Soho just ended up with little to show except old ghosts and new lows. And then I started to relax and to breathe a little easier. As my path turned north towards Haunting, past the back of Nabucco, and all the morning retires from tour, and all the street corners were to score, got overshadowed by the hawk's back, and a certain special someone, and the whispered possibility of more, and as I crested the hill, and looked down upon Crouchin, Alexandra Palace on the next rise, arms open like an old friend, I realized that this part of my journey was coming to a close, and how our lives will be after, nobody knows, I guess I got older, that's just how it goes, and I know it sounds weird. Got tired of London, not tired of life. I'm so sorry, my darling, to leave you behind. We had a hell of a run there. I must go down to the sea. While you're always changing, it wasn't you, it was me. in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.